Good evening, <clears throat> and welcome to another fun-filled, fact-filled episode of the Blue Ribbon Podcast, brought to you by Pittsburgh Power. Um, Larry's going to turn. He's going to be a teacher tonight. Um, I'm always a teacher. Well, he's really going to. He's got slides and and all kinds of stuff here because uh, we're going to talk about air conditioning. Um, that is the that is the subject for the evening. You know, I, look, I'm just going to tell you, my candy ass melts about 82, right? I, I'm just, I'm not going without air conditioning, right? And <clears throat> the first time it happened to me when I bought my truck, uh, which would have been sometime in 2013, my air conditioner quit. And I was so used to just calling somebody and I called up the TA and I'm like, Hey, uh, I've got a busted line. I need an evac and recharge. And they're like, that'll be a thousand dollars. And I went, Oh, no, 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 no. Well, the line was like 60 bucks. So I start watching YouTube videos on how to recharge an air conditioner and went and spent about $75 at Harbor Freight, bought some Freon, put the line on, and I fixed my air conditioner for about 200 bucks. Yeah, we're going to talk about why that wasn't a good idea tonight, okay? so Right. <clears throat> but uh, it helped me understand the system, and that's what we're going to do tonight, yeah. is we want you to be able to understand the system because the amoeba, that you're going to be dealing with the single celled organism, um, with the patch on his arm, uh, and, his name, and his name on it, on the front of his shirt. Right. And where so he, he don't, yeah. So he doesn't forget his name and, you know, and so he remembers how to get to work. Uh, and look, you can say that this is unfair and it's, and it's disrespectful to talk about people. Listen, they've earned it. Okay. I'm sorry. They've earned it. And they earn it daily, daily. And today is no exception as I, as I can see in our, signal text uh, yeah going on today so. yeah and and so you're you're just gonna have to fundamentally understand that when you go into a shop if you spend a very small amount of time on google researching whatever uh issue you're having you're probably going to be more prepared uh to at least understand what's wrong and what's and what remedy is needed you may not have the tools to do it um but well, you, you'll certainly be more concerned with it being done right, you know, than they are. Right. Um, because you have to understand they could care less, you know. Now, we, we paint with a very broad brush here. Look, we've got some really, really good shops that we work with. And we don't mean to insinuate that everybody is this way. But unfortunately, the vast majority of them are going to fall in the category that they uh, are not... Um, particularly concerned about resolving your problems you know it's almost everybody it, you know there's there's exceptions i'm sure and we have a few and and and, and again I, I i don't want to make make it sound like that the problem is with 14 trucks and with the number of people that who've do who who we have in contact with that you know subscribe to our way of doing things and we're friends with and whatnot we have so many episodes every day and every week of incompetency that it just it makes it look like that that everywhere you go there's just no one that really knows how to fix things and um we've had some air conditioning things come up you know it's been a hot summer and mm -hmm. we have and and every driver nowadays is a candy ass it, it seems like yeah you, you do know that when i grew when i grew up in the in the in the industry um Air conditioning wasn't even standard equipment until the mid late 60s. Now, you, you are aware of that, right? 
Oh yeah. It wasn't. It was my first car didn't have air. It was an optional to have air conditioning in a car. So, um, which, not, which I, I just want to do a real quick public service announcement. We're four minutes in. I want, if you have a child, you know, a child that is say between the ages of like 14 and, and 20, I want you to send them to this. And this is my plea. Okay. This is, you don't understand the opportunity that sets before you. If you are a young male or female between the ages of about 12 and 20, that you can go learn a trade and not be a moron and have a work ethic, um, and make more money than you've ever dreamed of making. If you will just not a be a moron, b have a work ethic because every industry right now is broken. Every one of them. Healthcare is broken. Aviation is broken. Trucking is broken. Everything is upside down. We had a guy try, has been trying to fly home, fly here from home in Colorado for what, three days and landed today, but his luggage did not. And they just don't care. It's, you know, we're, we're being well, herded around like cattle. Landed today wasn't exactly, you know, the good thing. He should have landed yesterday. Right. You know, and I mean, so it, you know, it's, and it's just everything. And, it, and it's everywhere. We, we were out to dinner the other night. I, was, I told me, I said, I am so sick and tired of what we have become accustomed to calling customer service. You know, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's non-existent, you know. Um, I mean, if someone, you pick it, I don't, you pick an industry. You know, we talk about trucking all the time and how we are very service oriented and that's the key to our success along with being good business people. But you can, at this point in time, you could pick any industry and go into it and use our, you know, um, secrets to success, you know, that we teach. And, and first of all, you eliminate your competition in the first week. Yep. And, and, and you would have more business you could possibly handle, you know, and, and, uh, it's, it's not hard at all. It's, it's, it's very easy, but the problem is nobody wants to do it. And, and now, because of the pandemic and all the, you know, the craziness afterward, now, now we've got the monkey pandemic, but there's no expectation of it anymore. I mean, you drive by a restaurant and you look and see if they're even open, the dining is even open, you know, mm-hmm. because now it's acceptable just to not, you know, let's just don't open the dining. It's so much easier for us just to work out the drive through window. You know, people will accept that. So let's just make that our business model. And I just drive right on by. I refuse to go in. You know, I hope every restaurant that has a lobby closed goes out of business tomorrow. Okay. So (laughs) anyway, um, we picked air conditioning for two reasons. One is it's, um, it's kind of popular right now with the heat work that's going on. The other thing is it's, it's very, very, in our experience, very, very commonly misdiagnosed. And, yep. and misrepaired. And um, I just happen to have a little background in it. I mean, one of the things that I, um, when I was in the automotive industry, I thought it would be important for me to learn about the industry as much as I could. I wasn't a mechanic. You know, I, I knew how to work on stuff only because growing up as a kid in, in middle-class America, you built, you tore shit up and you built, you fixed it back. You know, mm-hmm. we took engines out of things. We took a watch apart. We took a clock apart. We, t- if there had been a bomb there, we'd have took it apart. You know, it's yep. just your curiosity as a young man, uh, tell, has you taking things apart to see how they work. 
and then putting them back together and seeing if there's any pieces left over. So, you know, having a childhood where that's what you do, you just gain a little bit of mechanical knowledge by just doing things. And so I thought it would be, it'd be interesting to, to try to get um, the professional knowledge uh, of some of these systems. And so I went on to become a certified, uh, back then it was called NIASA, National Institute of Automotive Serv- Service Excellence. Now it's just called ASA. Um, I'm sure we could come up with a better acronym for ASE. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A more accurate one anyway. Um, but anyway, I, I did, I got the, um, front of the alignment and suspension, oddly enough, and then air conditioning. And I had no idea I'd be able to use those two things when I was 68 years old. But (laughs) anyway, um, it's, uh, it comes in handy. It freaks out a lot of guys whenever I get our drivers in a place and I'll start having them do things. And, you know, the, I'm assuming that the technicians, you know, at some point in time realize that I know what I'm talking about. You know, when you start talking to an alignment suspension guy and you start, start talking about steering axles inclination, that's not something that somebody walks off the street and says, you know, so they, 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 they automatically assume that, you know, what you're speaking of. And so when we get into air conditioning, I start telling people how, you know, they're starting down the wrong path and, usually end up in the wrong situation. It's only because I have this, this knowledge. So I thought, why not I just um, take a little time tonight and let's just talk about uh, air conditioning, refrigeration, obviously uh, how it applies to trucks. And, and the, the thing about air, you know, air conditioning is it doesn't really matter what it's in. I mean, with, with few modifications, the, the air conditioner you have in your truck is the exact same one you have in your car exact same one you have in your refrigerator and exact same one you have at home. You know, they have a few little different things, but really the theory is exactly the same. And so let's science, the science. So let's just kind of get into that theory a little bit um, because it's, um, you know, it's all based on the second law of thermodynamics and not going to, not going to get into a bunch of physics and, and, and PhD stuff here, but quite, quite simply, what this means is that when, when a liquid changes from a liquid to a vapor state, uh, at that point in time, the liquid absorbs heat. Um, think about your body. Think about when you go out and work out or get really hot. You know, what happens is you start sweating and sweat bead forms on the surface of your body. And as that sweat vaporizes, evaporates, it cools you down. Mm-hmm. That's the, that's the second law of thermodynamics. Okay. Um, there's some more things to it there. You can see on the screen, but, um, you know, the, the, um, the heat flows from the body. that's a higher temperature to the lower, to the body. That's a lower temperature. So heat always goes to cool. Cool doesn't go to heat. Um, and then of course the conducting material has a lot to do with it. You know, skin, I don't know how good of a conductor that is, but copper, brass, and aluminum are really, really good. So that's the reason that we use those in the system. So in a nutshell here, the refrigerant system or your air conditioning system simply is a system whereby there's a transfer of heat from, you know, the, the, the warm air that's, um, you know, that, that's in your truck um, to the cool refrigerant that's going through the evaporator. And we're going to talk about all these different components and how this works. And then it does the opposite when it goes out to the condenser behind your radiator. 
Uh, we're doing just exact, exact, the opposite. We're going to condense that uh, back down to a liquid and then exchange that, that heat out there in that airstream um, and, and, and then just, just do it all over again. So that's the, that's the basics of what um, you know, refrigeration is. It's just this, it, this, these two states of change that a refrigerant goes through uh, going from a liquid to a vapor and then back from a vapor to a liquid. So let's just kind of do a little overview here. Uh, this is a car, but again, like I say, it doesn't really, really matter. Uh, the only difference is where this has an accumulator, uh, your truck's going to have what's called a receiver dryer. Other than that, they're pretty much the same. This is the compressor, obviously. Uh, this is the condenser. It sits out in front of the radiator and you're behind your grill. Uh, this is the expansion valve. This is the evaporator, and that's the receiver dryer. Now, the only difference in this system is in, in the expansion valve system, this receiver dryer is actually going to be down here. It's going to be in the flow between the condenser and the expansion valve. So, um, so don't, uh, don't uh, uh, again, I, this is, you know, this is just a basic um, diagram of the system. So you go out there and go, oh, I see you. There's my condenser. There's where it is. The evaporator is going to be in that housing on the firewall and basically reside uh, in the in the floor um, under the dash above the floor of the passenger side of your, of your cab. And then uh, the compressor is going to be riding on the motor somewhere being turned by a belt from the engine. So no matter what kind of vehicle it's in, it's basically going to have this configuration. So when we start looking at um, trying to figure out why your AC system is not working, we've kind of got to look at three major causes of that. The first one we call mechanical failures. And that's going to be things that are going to cause the system not to work besides the refrigerant system. Some examples here are obviously if the drive belt's missing or slipping. Um, you know, the condenser gets clogged with debris or, 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 or fins are broken. Um, you know, these, these um, let's go back a page here, Chris. These items right here, just like radiators, they're tubes with aluminum fins to disperse heat or just the opposite in this evaporate. It looks kind of like that, but there's fins in there. If these things get clogged up with debris, they're, they don't work very efficiently. I'm not, I don't know if you, like at home, if you'll pull your refrigerator out every once in a while and vacuum under it, it will make your refrigerator work a lot more efficiently because you're getting all the dust and dirt off of these fins that normally air would need to circulate in. So that's a, a mechanical problem. Um, the, uh, you know, the, you, you could think that you've got an AC problem when in fact you've got a duct or air delivery problem. That would be the ducting or the blower inside the, uh, inside the truck. So, you know, when, when we have a driver that calls up and says, my AC is blowing warm, well, we have to kind of, we have to, we have to diagnose what that means. You know, are you getting air inside the right volume of air and is the air warm? Or are you getting no airflow in the vehicle? Because that's going to help us eliminate whether it's a mechanical problem or a refrigerant problem. So you know, if you're getting good airflow in the cab, but the air is just simply warm, that tells us one thing. But if, if, if you turn your air conditioner on, you've got cold air, and all of a sudden just gradually just decreases to where you're not getting any airflow, 
that's probably not necessarily a refrigerant problem. It could very well be, I mean, it could be, but it's also going to be the, that you're not getting any blower motor through the evaporator. So that helps us decide which direction to go. The next thing is electrical failures because this compressor is, uh, is, is um, engaged through an electromagnetic clutch. And there has to be voltage there for that clutch to engage. So we have to make sure that we do have voltage to the uh, compressor um, if you've got the compressor on. We've also got to make sure we've got uh, voltage to your blower motor. Uh, because if your blower motor is not blowing, you're not going to get that air over the evaporator and you're going to ice that up because there's no air blowing over it. So there's the three different categories that you have to figure out what you're dealing with before you can go any further. Is this mechanical? Is this electrical? Or is this, in fact, refrigerant? Uh, hey, let me let me jump in on that real quick because sure. I have a I have an anecdotal issue story here for you. So, had a uh, 06 Freightliner Columbia uh, AC was inoperable. Took it into the TA to a guy I pretty much trust, and he said, "Well, the ECM is shutting the compressor off because it says it's not reading zero RPM from the blower motor." And I'm like, "Okay." He's like, well, we can't get a blower motor. And I said, well, okay, well, how about we take the one out of the bunk and put in the front? He's like, well, I don't think that'll work. So at this point, I'm like, oh, well, so he's checked out. So I walk out and I, I get my T25 Torx bit out and I take the blower motor from the front and I swap them and it starts working. It's, and it's working to this day. So that told me by process of elimination that the ECM is reading for RPM on the front one, but not the back one because the back one's working, but it was not giving the ECM the information that it wanted. And it was like, oh, well, the blower motor's not on, so I'm going to shut the compressor off. You know, but that's the kind of the outside the box thing. You have to go, okay, well, these things are identical. I know they'll swap. So I just swapped them and fixed the problem. Well, and that is that is a an anomaly with with big trucks is that you literally have two you have one refrigerant system. Well, you do. You've got a second evaporator and a second expansion valve and a second blower motor in a bunk. Right. Uh, the same compressor, the same circuitry runs everything, but it, there's just two of them. So that is a little more of a complicator that you don't have at home and you don't have in your refrigerator, don't have in your car. So I do need to stand corrected there. There is one difference and that is there's two of some things mm -hmm. but if it's not electrical and it's not a airflow problem then it's very likely going to be a refrigerant problem and uh, the most uh, common reason for poor uh, performance is usually a loss of refrigerant you know i i've told the story about me taking the fresh tomatoes in the truck and before mm -hmm. it, it before i was through with one shift they were turned into tomato sauce uh, trucks are a very violent environment for things to work in. Uh, they vibrate and you hit bumps. You're in, you're in, in you know, you're in, in, in impossible environmental conditions. And so it's not, you know, the reason that your refrigeration in your, in, at home is much more reliable than refrigeration in your car is for that very reason. Your home doesn't move around. You know, it doesn't run over, over potholes and bumps. You know, it pretty much just sits there um, unless you live in California. Then you get these trimmers once in a while that shake everything up. But 
but but in your car or in your truck, they they live in a very very hostile environment for things like seals and bearings and and things that um, that can cause issues. And so, you know, there's just problems inherent by the environment that we we ask it to work in. Um, but here's some things that are pretty uh, pretty obvious. Um, you know, um, refrigerant leaks are pretty easy to find because when refrigerant leaks, the oil that's in the refrigerant also leaks. And it usually causes an oily, an oily area around the seal or in a hose. Or, and and you, that, that oily uh, surface will eventually attract dirt. So you've got oil and dirt as a giveaway there that you may have a leak and that's where it might be. Um, obviously... Um, you know, there's uh, the condenser um, because it's in front of the radiator. It's vulnerable to um, rocks and stuff. If you've got that that little f- fine mesh wire screen that's behind your grill, if that thing goes away or you get a hole in it, you're very, very likely going to pick up a rock and put it through that evaporator. I mean, that, that can or the screen will damage it itself. Or the screen itself will. The vibration of that truck will make anything that's rubbing. And that's another uh, common thing in uh, trucks is refrigerant lines rubbing together. And uh, eventually they just rub a hole in each other. Uh, the evaporator, um, you know, it, it, there's obviously problems there. Um, and so finding the leak in, and finding where the problem is, is, is the next is the next challenge when you're trying to diagnose things. So you either got a mechanical problem, you got an electrical problem, or you got a refrigerant problem. So we're going to kind of eliminate the mechanical and the, refri- and the electrical right now and concentrate on refrigerant. That's usually what it is. Most of your amoeba are going to assume that's what it is. And so, uh, so let's take it from there and, and go forward. This is a diagram of the refrigerant flow in your air conditioning system. And, and what's important about this diagram is understanding the states of what the refrigerant is during the different parts here. So let's start at the compressor because that's where it all begins. The compressor is going to compress the gas um, up to about 140, 150 PSI. Uh, and it's going to send that, that vapor uh, along this line into the top of the condenser. Now, it's very important to note that they refri- the refrigerant flows into the top of the condenser, but in the bottom of the evaporator. If you think about physics, it makes sense. If I'm going to condense a vapor into liquid, I'm going to start it up here, and the condensation is going to cause it to be liquid down here. This airflow is important, Okay because that's what gives you the airflow over those fins to aid in the change of that state from vapor, high pressure vapor to high pressure liquid. So when this comes out of the bottom of your condenser and then goes to the dryer, we're high pressure, but now we're liquid, okay? The dryer is an important part of this. The dryer has a filter in it. Uh, In the event that some of this refrigerant doesn't condense and still stays into a liquid form, even though it might be droplets, this dryer has what's called a desiccant in it. And a desiccant, very simply, is that little bag of beads that comes with your electronics that says, please do not eat. That's what a desiccant is. And this dryer is full of that. And as long as it stays fairly young in age and doesn't get 
um, uh, exposed to uh, uh, too much moisture, it will continue to absorb whatever moisture is in this high-pressure liquid that's getting ready to go into your expansion valve. So that dryer does two things. It filters for debris, and it also uh, absorbs uh, through the desiccant any possible liquid that could be coming from this condenser that did not condense the vapor, or, or excuse me, um, uh, vapor that did not condense the liquid. So it comes here, it goes from the dryer, it goes to your expansion valve, and that's where the magic starts. The expansion valve is going to meter this refrigerant um, uh, into the evaporator at a very, very, very low uh, pressure. It's going to drop from about 150 here to about 40 here, 20 to 40 PSI here. And it's going to allow that low pressure liquid now to come into the bottom of the evaporator. This air going over it is going to now evaporate that. So it's going now from a liquid state back to a vapor state. And that change of, of, um, of, uh, of, of state there is where the, uh, the absorption of heat takes place. So the relatively warm air of this ambient air going through this blower, through that evaporator, there's an exchange of heat right there. And what's left on the other side is cool air. And that cool air then is blown into your cab and you feel it as, as, as air conditioning. So that's where that comes from. The evaporation of this liquid to a vapor is what, just like the sweat off of your skin, evaporating into the air cools your skin. This does the exact same thing. And then it goes back to the compressor and it starts all over again. So that's the cycle of how this works. So you've got, you've got a change of state here from liquid to vapor, and you've got the opposite here going from vapor to liquid. So that's how this thing works. So let's kind of look at these components a little one at a time. Um, this is the heart of the thing, the compressor. Um, and uh, it's, it, it pumps refrigerant through the system. It's important to note that it will not compress a liquid. Um, I mean, if you think about that, that's how hydraulic brakes work. You can't compress a liquid. It compresses a gas. And it takes it from about 20 to 40 PSI to about 150 PSI. So that's the, um, that's the compression that this compressor does. Now, it's important to note that this compressor is pulley driven. And that pulley has to run all the time. Even if you turn the air conditioner off, this pulley has to still keep working because it might be running other things in your truck, like the water pump or like the alternator or other items. So this can't just stop. The belt can't stop from running because it's driven by the crankshaft. And so it has to run all the time. So it freewheels until this clutch is engaged. This electrical connection right here is going to a magnet and it's going to engage this clutch when it when you turn the air conditioning on and that clutch is going to start whoops sorry is going to start making this compressor turn and then when you turn the compressor off this clutch releases and this pulley keeps just freewheeling so we're going to come back to that that's an important part to notice about the compressor okay so Chris here's a way to make that go away where people can read or not make what go away where it says slide eight am I the only one seeing that you're the only one seeing that okay so um um, 
All right. I think you got everybody can just see that. So the ref- let's talk about the refrigerant. People call it Freon. It's really not Freon. Freon was a uh, the DuPont company in conjunction with General Motors created a, a R12. Uh, Freon uh, is actually a brand name of refrigerant 12, which we don't even use anymore. But it's so common people use it as uh, as the the name of of what all refrigerant is, but it's not. What we use today is tetrafluoroethylene. It's it's R134A. Um, back in about 2010, the EPA said that R12 was causing a, a hole in the ozone layer because of the fluorocarbons, and so it was outlawed. And so now we use R134A. Um, R12 was dichlorodifluoromethane. This is now tetrafluoromethane. So, um, but the thing that's important about it is that as a refrigerant, it has to be capable of condensing uh, and, and, and it has to be able to, to, to carry oil with it. And, um, and it has to be able to handle, to move heat and to be safe. So the properties of a refrigerant, um, you know, it has to be a, a, a chemical that can be in two states. It can be a vapor or it can be a liquid. And then it has to have the qualities that we just talked about. It's got to be able to move heat. It's also got to be able to carry a lubricant. And so that's what uh, this, uh, this chemical here is, um, uh, is capable of doing. So um, um, I, the, the R134A is probably going to be replaced in the next few years with an HFC-134A, but um, it should work uh, in a similar fashion to what we're doing right now. So the refrigerant leaves the compressor as pressurized vapor and travels through the condenser at temperature around 30 degrees higher than the outdoor temperature. So, um, and what's important about that is the, the, the airflow through the condenser, uh, then is cooler than the refrigerant coming out of the compressor. So the condensing takes place in that environment, even though it's still hot, the outdoor, uh, I mean, the, the temperature of the, of the refrigerant coming out of the compressor is about 30 degrees higher than the uh, ambient temperature outdoors. So you do get this condensing effect. Um, so that's what the, that's what the condenser's job is, is to allow that refrigerant to come through here. And then the process of going through these tubes and these venting, uh, fins condense it completely from a, uh, vapor to a liquid. The condenser does the opposite. Um, it's going to come in here as a, um, as a uh, liquid and it's going to uh, evaporate literally it's going to the freon literally boils uh, at 15 uh, point some degrees fahrenheit so um the when it when it reaches this area the 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 freon literally is boiling and and it's just turning to steam uh, and a vapor uh through the through the process of evaporation here and that process the thermodynamics of that are that the cooling process takes place there. It absorbs the heat coming out of the cab and basically transfers that heat back out to the atmosphere uh, at the the condenser. So, um, and somebody's making a comment there about errors. Yes, uh, the airflow through these components is critical. 
And we'll get to that a little bit later. I'll talk to you about that. Um, so getting back to the thermodynamics, the change of state here at this point is called the latent heat of condensation. That's the technical term for what's going on there. So the liquid refrigerant will now travel down the liquid line through the receiver dryer and into the expansion valve. So uh, from the condenser, we're going to go through the receiver dryer, and then we're going to hit this expansion valve. So what happens there is, uh, well, let's back up. We're going to go through the receiver dryer. I forgot. We mentioned it already. We'll go through it again. So we're going to go through the receiver dryer first. Uh, it's located in the, in the line between the condenser expansion valve. It's a temporary storage container for refrigerant and oil until needed, um, based on the demand that you're putting on the system. It's got a filter to trap debris. I mean, this, this compressor's got aluminum moving parts. Occasionally, like any moving parts, like your engine, it will occasionally uh, have some little pieces of debris that'll get through there. That's caught right here. Um, and it also has the desiccant bag to absorb uh, any moisture or any uncondensed refrigerant. Now we're to the, well, there's another picture of it. Um, this is like a cutaway view of the desiccant, the dryer. Um, to making a big deal out of this because this is a very commonly overlooked item if, uh, by the technicians. You know, they'll do a repair and they won't replace this. And the problem with that is, uh, this desiccant has a capacity, you know, if um, it can only absorb so much moisture, it's like a sponge. And once it gets full, it can't absorb any more. Well, when you have your system open to atmospheric pressure, because you have run out of Freon and the system is no longer pressurized, or you've had a catastrophic failure and you've got a hole in a, in a condenser or, or a hole in a, in a hose, and now you've got atmospheric, atmospheric pressure inside the system, it doesn't take long to remit for the humidity in the atmosphere to fully absorb uh, all the capacity that this desiccant has to give. So it's no longer effective. And once it absorbs all it can absorb, it can't absorb anything more. So changing this to get the desiccant back in it in a new condition is critical when you're replacing components or if the system has been open to atmospheric pressure for an extended period of time. So um, another thing you might want to notice here, well, I can't tell if you can see if you can, I'll get to that a little bit later. Um, but this is a, a very important part of the, of the system. And if, uh, if it's not changed, when you put a condenser on or a compressor on, or you've got a leak that's been uh, leaking for a long time and you've lost all your Freon, you've lost your capability to absorb moisture. And what happens there is if you don't absorb the moisture, um, um, the, uh, the, 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 the moisture and the, and the, the Freon actually form an, a, a, a very acidic, um, well, it forms an acid. It will actually eat away at the part of the um, the uh, metal parts of the system. Um, it actually forms hydrochloric acid um, for a refrigerant and uh, and water. So, um, not a good thing to happen. And by not changing this, you're just setting yourself up for another problem, relatively short, uh, 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 in re relative short order. So. Um, 
Now we're to the expansion valve. So the liquid refrigerant now goes to the metering device. Uh, the outlet of this device uh, begins the low pressure property of the refrigerant circuit. At this point, the refrigerant will begin to boil and evaporate at a low pressure temperature about 40 degrees Fahrenheit. So um, there's a capillary tube on the outside of this, which, which uh, regulates at which point, uh, it regulates how much uh, this little metering valve allows into the, uh, into the evaporator. So it's, it's metered and it's controlled by temperature. Um, so uh, this is a little, little tiny valve. And it, it's up to this point, we've got high pressure liquid. And as soon as it comes to that valve, we now have low pressure liquid coming out of there. And we've gone from about 150, 160 uh, PSI to now uh, probably 20 to 40 PSI. And we'll get into those numbers when we start talking about the gauges and whatnot. So here's co- sort of a, 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 a diagram of the condenser, or excuse me, the evaporator, and, uh, and how it works. It's basically a heat exchanger. Uh, it contains a core where low pressure, low temperature liquid enters. Uh, the blower in your vehicle blows air over these, this evaporator, and the heat transfers from the cabin air into the liquid refrigerant, boiling it into a gaseous state. Uh, the cooled cabin air is circulated back into the cabin. The refrigerator or the refrigerant uh, either directly enters the compressor uh, or, enters, well, we don't have an accumulator orifice in a truck system. That's in a car system. Expansion valve systems are what's in trucks. So they both do the same thing. So don't let that trip you up. So, But the important part here, we've got liquid refrigerant here. We have vapor refrigerant coming out. Now, keep in mind, compressor cannot compress and cannot deal with liquids. So it's important that we have this back to a vapor because as it leaves here, it's going right back to the compressor. So the boiling refrigerant absorbs the heat energy from the air flowing over the evaporator. The refrigerant will totally evaporate because the heat energy absorbs will transfer the refrigerant from a liquid state to a vapor. And so here we are, we're going right back there as a low pressure uh, vapor back to the compressor and we start the process all over again. So at that point in time, it's called the latent heat of evaporation. That's the two different state, state changes of state uh, that we talked about with the thermodynamics. So that's how the system works. Just, it's very, that's a, it's just a, it's just a, uh, an exchange of air of, of, of heat here and heat here. Um, and uh, that's really all there is to it. So um, at this point in time, you have cool air flowing out of the evaporator. Refrigerant is carrying the heat absorbed from that air back to the compressor as a low pressure vapor. Uh, here's another little chart that kind of gives you the, 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 um, the um, um, status of the, of the, of the refrigerant and the different, in the different stages, what, what form it takes. It's kind of important that you understand that because as you start feel a lot of diagnosing the air conditioning systems is feeling the lines because the lines are supposed to feel a certain way. You know, uh, these lines that are red should be warm to the touch. These lines that are blue should be cool to the touch. So if not, you've probably got a restriction somewhere or you've got a refrigerant uh, deficit deficit or um, could have too much. Uh, both of them are a problem. Uh, keep in mind the compressor cannot pump liquids, only vapors. So another chart 
Make sense so far, Chris? Yes, sir. We talked about the clutch. So a lot of times we're talking to our drivers and we say, is the compressor running? And they look outside and this pulley's running. And they go, yeah, the compressor's running. But unless this plate right here is spinning with this pulley, the compressor is not running. Okay, this pulley is going to run continuously as long as the motor's running and the fan belt's on it. But if this, if this is the magnet that magnetizes the pulley, that makes that clutch ride against this surface right here and makes that then in turn turn the inside workings of the compressor. If this is not turning, the compressor is not working. So I want to make sure you understand this because if somebody's asking you, is your compressor turning? Unless this is actually turning, it is not. Now, there's, it could be for various reasons, okay? First of all, you got to have voltage here. Or, you, well, either way, you're going to have to have, you're going to have to complete a circuit here. It could be voltage here, or could this could be a ground, depending on the, the way the system's built. Either way, though, it should light a test light, okay? If it does not, you don't, this is not being electrified, and therefore this is not being magnetized, and therefore that clutch is not engaged. So that could be a problem. Um, there could be a problem with low pressure in the system. So the low pressure sensor, is shutting the electric the power off to this. So it may not be an electrical control problem. It could be intentionally being disconnected because we have low pressure in the system. And averse to that, if the system's building up too much pressure for whatever reason, it has a high pressure sensor, which will also cut this power to this um, to this electromagnet and, and turn to save the, comp the compressor is relatively expensive part of this. It's not the most expensive part. The evaporator probably is, and it's certainly more of a labor to change it, but the compressor is, um, is protected by these two circuits. So if, um, if there's a problem with the pressure in the system, it's going to disengage this clutch to save the compressor. Um, so let's talk, let's uh, pause here a second. Chris to answer some questions. Okay. Okay. Which one are you going first? Well, I don't know. Uh, Pete's just repla re repeating some thermodynamics. They all appear to be correct. So uh, we'll, uh, and, and he's right. Heat always goes towards cold. Uh, that's, that's, again, that's, that's one, of the, one of the laws of, thermo of thermodynamics. Um, what do we got here? Not only will they not replace the receiver dryer, they will leave the system up for two days. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Here's a, yeah. here's something, here's something else. I'll bring this up a little later, but here's something else. If that was, you know, you know how mechanics will take parts back or they'll, if, if that receiver dryer comes to you and, and it, when it comes from the factory, it has these plastic caps screwed into the fittings where the lines go on purpose. Because if that desiccant is exposed to air, it's no good after just a couple of hours. Mm -hmm. So if someone takes those caps off, doesn't use that dryer and puts it back on a shelf, they might as well throw it away. It's completely worthless. So you can't let a mechanic put a dryer on your system that where those caps have been. All air conditioning parts come with, even if you buy a hose, it's got caps on it to keep moisture out of that system, out of that component. 
because you 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 got to get that out, and we'll go through the process of getting that out. But moisture is is your enemy in in the refrigerant. So, but you're right. That was kind of a funny thing. But you're right. Uh, I just tuned in. If air blows cold, 15 degrees of the vent. Well, number one, it's not going to blow 15 degrees into vent. Um, it's only going to blow about 40 degrees less than ambient temperature outside to a point. Um, and we will, I'll show you a chart when we get done, but if, uh, yeah, about the lowest I've ever seen is 40 to 50, 40 to 45 is about the lowest, but it could be as high well, as that could be autocorrect. And maybe he's saying 50 degrees at the vent, but you know, yeah. yeah. But anyway, it idle but warms up driving. What are your thoughts on that? I can tell you my thoughts on that. You're freezing up at the evaporator. Now, there's different reasons it could do that, but you're 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 freezing up at the evaporator. So either we're not getting airflow of the evaporator, or we've got a low or too high refrigerant situation, and we're freezing up the evaporator. One of our trucks, I don't remember which one it was, had a bad. Let me think of the term for it. There's a sensor inside the air box. Um, I guess it was, it was a evaporator, uh, temperature sensor and it was giving a false reading and it was causing the system to freeze up because it was not shutting the compressor off and it just kept going and going and going. And so then it would inside that box would get so incredibly cold because mm -hmm. it kept pumping, then ice would form on the evaporator, which would cut the airflow down. And then the minute you turn the air conditioner off, then four gallons of water would pour out of the bottom as the hot air came and melted the ice. And so we had to change that evaporator temperature sensor and then it was fine. You know, but you always have to be thinking about, you know, what's it doing? If you're driving down the road and all of a sudden the airflow goes away, but it's still cold, you just don't have airflow, then something's restricting your airflow. Well, it's cold. And well, your airflow is restricted, so you're probably froze up. It's cold there at the evaporator, but eventually that air is going to get warm as it comes through there, because you know the the as the cab warms up, the air on this side of that evaporator is going to start getting warm. You know, um, the other thing it could very well be is an expansion valve, because the expansion valve is metered for temperature. So if it's if it's not reading temperature correctly and it's giving too, it's letting too much refrigerant pass through, it'll freeze the evaporator up as well. So there's a multiple to a multitude of things it could be, but the, the usually the common denominator there is a as a evaporator that's freezing up. That's very very likely what I would suspect it would be. So, all right, well, let's move on. Uh, if you guys have any questions or comments, just stick them in there, okay? Th these are my observations. My observations, okay? It's things you rarely see. Um, you know, when I when I'm in shops or when I'm you know around shops. And, and I, I noticed people working on air conditioners. Here's what I've, I hardly ever see anybody clean a condenser or an evaporator. Both can be done. Uh, the evaporator is a little harder, but it can be done. There's a chemical uh, cleaning that you can do there. Condenser is not that hard at all. Matter of fact, you could do it when you wash your truck. And uh, you got to be careful with high pressure washers, but you can, uh, you know, you can blow out the, uh, the debris and the bugs and the dust in your condenser, um, it's it for this system to work properly. Airflow is important. So I think Pete said air is king. Airflow is critical. So if you've got obstructions in these in these cooling fins where air is supposed to be getting there, and you've got dust caked up in there, it's not going to work right. 
And I can tell you right now, the amoeba are not going to catch that. Okay. They're not going to look for that. Um, I used to get, when I used to go through the truck washes, I would actually get, talk to the guys and have them spray backwards through the radiator into the grill and try to blow backwards to blow stuff out the front of the radiator and the condensing coils and so forth. Um, the other thing I never see, I mean, what, what I, anytime I worked on air conditioners, I always had a box fan. I sat in front of the grill because if you don't have airflow going the condenser, it's not going to give you the proper readings. And I've never, ever seen a truck technician do that. So how are you going to diagnose a problem with gauges if you don't have air going through the condenser? Okay. And you're not condensing. Those, that, that, those gauge readings cannot be accurate without airflow. And there's no airflow sitting in your shop. It's designed to have air flowing through that. And you'll, you'll never find anybody doing this, but how hard is it to put a fan out front? You know, uh, I never see anybody measuring outlet temperature in the middle of the dash. Let me I've tell never, you, let me tell you one that Carl did. We had a truck where um, the air conditioner was working. It just was not working. It was that black truck. Hottest thing I've ever drove in my life. But I'm like, dude, this air conditioner's not working right. So he measures it at the vent, and he's like, man, it's 10 degrees. But everything else checked out. You know, did evac and recharge. Pressures were, were, were where they should be, right? So he took a big piece of cardboard and cut it, and he blocked the condenser. And what he was able to figure out was that the fan clutch was just weak enough that it was not completely stopping and you couldn't really tell it but you know because you want to think that your that your fan clutch for your engine fan is binary it's on or off but it it's not really and so that that fan was dragging and with it dragging um it was creating enough airflow that it that the system could not get cold enough uh and the condensing wasn't going good enough and so that's how he was able to figure he completely blocked the airflow thinking that well the system now got any air it should react a certain way well it didn't react and that's when how he figured out that the fan was the actual problem right um we just talked about this verifying that new receiver dryer uh, drivers come in unopened capped condition uh if they're not they're worthless you might as well just throw it away you're not and it, and what happens this just this just kicks the can down the road. You leave there thinking the air conditioner's fixed, and a couple of weeks or a month or two later, you come back and you've got icing up problems. You know, because if any moisture is in that system, it's going to cause a blockage in the evaporator because that's where it's the coldest, and it's going to freeze that up and freeze up your evaporator. And all it was caused was by the desiccant not taking the moisture out of the system because the desiccant wasn't replaced or is replaced with one that's already fully absorbed. Um, here's a big one. Okay. Adding refrigerant oil after repairing leaks or changing components. The refrigerant, the, 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 the refrigeration system also is the carrier for the lubrication system. The only thing that needs lubricating in the air and refrigerating system is a compressor, but it has moving aluminum parts. And so it can't have a sump because everything flows through it under pressure. So the, 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 the lubrication has to be embedded in the Freon, and it's a special refrigerant. It's even more special with R134A. 
And so if you have a catastrophic failure where you release all of your refrigeration in the atmosphere at one time, you're also releasing the majority of your oil. The oil typically resides in the bottom of either the compressor, the evaporator, the condenser, or the, re or the dryer. That's where it's going to sit there and accumulate. And if you replace any of those four items, you're, repl you're losing the oil that was in it, and it has to be replenished. I spent about two hours a day on, because when I did refrigeration, we didn't have uh, charging stations. You know, I had gauges and a vacuum pump and a 30-pound drum of Freon, and it was scale. So I could, I could manually do everything. Well, now this is all done through this machine that does their thinking for you. It's kind of like the GPS of air conditioner repairs, okay? <laughs> so it will, there, you're supposed to dump this oil reservoir out uh, before, uh, before each use, which I'm sure that doesn't happen. And this oil reservoir will catch the oil that comes out of the recovery, if, if you're recovering, and let you know how much you lost. Now, you can't use that oil back, but it tells you how much oil you should replenish. Not one of the systems that I could find today will do that replenishment for you. It has to be done manually with a bottle of oil and a tube with the vacuum side of the system. And, and every time we've had a truck worked on, I've asked every one of our drivers, did they put oil back in? Oh, it's done automatically. Well, no, it's not. I can't, you can't prove to me that's been done. And so now you put a new compressor on with, with not the correct amount of oil. And you look up in a few months, you're putting another compressor on, you go, damn, that compressor is a piece of shit, you know? <laughs> when all we didn't do was we just put it on there and didn't put any lubricant back in the system. So um, adding refrigerant oil after major leaks or changing components is a must. It has to happen. Yet that automatic GPS that they're going to use will not do that. I looked at Robin Air today. I looked at Snap-on. I looked at the, the major brands of charging systems. I couldn't find one of them that had any provision for putting oil back in the system. So I think that's a huge problem. All the ones that I've seen, it says, do you want to add oil? And you have to say yes. And if not, it's not going to add any oil unless you tell it to. Well, the, okay. Well, the, the oil that comes out of it is supposed to be discarded. And you're supposed to put new oil in its place that it catches the oil to give you an idea of how much you lost. And that's right. not the source of the oil. So, uh, but probably gives you an opportunity to do it uh, during the vacuum. Well, like the ones they use at TA, I'm not sure what brand it is, but it has a little oil tank on it and it says, do you want to add oil? And if you say, you know, if you don't say yes, it won't put any oil in it. It just puts in refrigerant. But I, it, saw, I saw that the other night at Chris's. I saw it at the one at TA. Billy's got a snap-on one. And they'll all say, do you want to put oil in? Yes. Then you hit the button, and it'll add the oil. But if you don't tell it to, it won't do it automatically. So this, oh, it did it automatically. No, it didn't. It only does it if you manually tell it to. Does it let you specify how much uh, oil to add? I believe so. Uh, I'm 90% sure that it tell, that it says how much do you want to put? Okay. You know, like two right, okay. Well, that's, that's good. I, I couldn't find that today, but I didn't have time to look more than about an hour or two. So the other thing that thing that we see uh, quite often is not a, uh, not a thorough enough evacuation. You know, now you're going to do this a couple ways. You, you're going to maybe pull a vacuum real quickly to do a leak test. That's not the same thing I'm talking about. Once you have all the repairs made, and you've got the system back together again, the evacuation on that system 
has to be at least 30 minutes after you attain 28 inches uh, of, of vacuum per in, in housing. Uh, otherwise, you're not going to get all the moisture out of that system. So, and the longer, the better, you know, uh, it, it, the, the two, uh, you know, too much, there's just a thing is too much um, of an evacuation. Um, but if you do it for less than that, it, it's, it's not a quality repair. It's right, not. Because the vacuum will boil, basically boils the water out. You know? Correctly. You're lowering, you're lowering the atmospheric pressure so the water will boil out. Because exactly right. So, um, but that's another thing that I, I regularly see is that people actually do a quality uh, evacuation. Um, another thing is it's not getting down to 28 inches. You haven't got the leak fixed. Okay. Right. If you can't get there, you don't have the leak fixed. And so, that's why a lot of them don't want to do it because if you do a 30 minute vacuum and then a 30 minute leak test, well, that's an hour that you're doing nothing. You know, and they don't want to spend that amount of time. Oh, I'll just vacuum it down for five minutes and then we'll leave it for 15 to make sure it's not leaking. All right, you're good to go. No, vacuum it for 30 minutes. That way you're for sure. If you want to do a quality job. Now, if you don't want to do a quality job, keep doing the crap that you've been doing. But when I, every time I've done it manually uh, without a machine, because I don't have a machine, um, I vacuum it for 30 minutes and then I, and then I set it for 30 minutes. And if I don't lose any vacuum in that 30 minutes, I know I'm good. Exactly. <clears throat> exactly. It, it, we will not hold, it will not hold a vacuum if you've got a leak, even if it passes a leak test. And I think these systems use nitrogen for the leak test, you know? Um, but if it won't hold a vacuum, if it won't hold 20 inches of vacuum for, like you say, 15 minutes, you do not have the, the problem is not resolved. So again, you're kicking the can down the road. Common mistakes I find by techs. Number one, not have any idea how much refrigerant is the system. You know, the only way you can do this is you got to hang a set of gauges on it or hook it up to your machine that's got the gauges in it. That's the first, once you determine that it's not mechanical or electrical, the very first thing you should do before you do anything in a refrigerant system is, put, is hang a set of gauges on it. Because if you don't know what the low pressure is and the high pressure is, if they're not in line with what they should be, you, you have no idea what the problem is. And so by not knowing how much refrigerant is, then just adding Freon to it and overcharging the system is the second most common mistake. Uh, the, these systems are designed to hold a specific amount of refrigerant. Um, freight liners are like 3.75 pounds. Mm -hmm. So if it's more than that, you're, you're not going to have optimum performance by this system over. That's where you get the evaporator freezing up. Okay. Uh, we've already talked about the, the, the dryer. Um, here's another one. They'll put components on every one of these components has an O-ring at the, where it, where, where it connects to a hose, every single one of them. Yet, how many times do you see somebody get refrigerant oil out and coat that O-ring with oil before they torque it down and split, crack? I mean, or not even to not even torque it down. We've had that problem too. Um, so uh, you know, not it's just like when you change oil in your truck and you and and you you take your finger and you put a little bit of oil around the oil filter gasket to keep it from kinking when you torque it down. It's no different. You've got O-rings going against aluminum, and when you torque that down, if you don't have some lubricant on there, you're very likely going to twist, uh, slice, crimp, something that's going to give you a problem with that connection right there. 
And with this system at 150, 160 PSI, it doesn't take much of a problem with a seal to have a leak. And you've got the vibration of the truck going down the road and all this other stuff. So the um, next thing we see a lot is not securing hoses and lines from rubbing. You know, they'll put on a brand new $300 line and just leave it. <coughs> and you look up and it's rubbing against the hood. It's rubbing against the radiator support. It's, you know, it's, it's not properly secured. Rubbing against another, another hose. Um, not checking continuity in the high and low pressure sensors. You know, it's how hard is it to, to ohm out a, a low pressure or a high pressure sensor to see if that's the problem before you replace a $400 compressor, you know? Um, and then just non, not using linear, linear systematic diagnostic testing, you know, jumping from one thing to another. I mean, just the other day we, you know, we went from having a, uh, a problem, you know, an AC problem, we jumped to compressor, you know, it was the automatic thing. Um, that may or may not be the case. You know, there's, there's lots of steps in between air conditioning not working and needing a compressor, you know. Uh, we had one the other day where yeah, they, it, we needed a condenser ba- based on the technician's observation of the condition of the condenser, yet it didn't leak and it held pressure. So, you know, um, just n- not proper diagnostic procedures is, is very common when you're dealing with guys that, that aren't trained. <clears throat> Here's one I've, I, I read about. A guy, guy seriously asks, is five ounces half a pound? <laughs> so now this is who's working on your air conditioner, okay? So um, that's an example of what I'm talking about. Um, this is this has to do with the oil level in the in the uh, in the system. You know, any time that you replace a major component. Um, you, you need to, you need to make sure you've got the right amount of oil in the system. Um, and, the the, it, it resides in the bottom of the evaporator, the bottom of the condenser, the bottom of the dryer and the bottom of the conden- of compressor. Well, how many people would replace those? And if you're not adding oil, when you do that, um, you're just asking for trouble. Um, there are, there are oil capacity charts that they have the access to that should tell them exactly how much oil is in that system. So, um, yes, Pete, it's called PAG oil. That's, that's the oil you use with R134A. Uh, Pete must be a, a thermodynamics professor or something. <clears throat> Here's a little diagnostic chart to kind of help you with a start. If, you know, when you get your gauges on there. And you've got, you know, your, your low side should be somewhere between 20 and 40 PSI. Your high side should be somewhere around 150 PSI. If that's not what they are, here's some can, things to look for. Now, we don't have orifice tubes in, uh, in, uh, in, tr- in trucks, so forget about that. Same thing in the expansion valve. But uh, these are some basic things to look for diagnostic-wise when, uh, when your pressures are not lining up correctly. Uh, we had one the other day where they hooked uh, the um, vacuum to it, and it, it got to 28 inches before the guy got, you know, got got turned around. Well, the problem with that was there was a con- there was a constriction, and it was it was it was reading no, the vacuum. It was, a, it was a bad machine. Oh, it was a bad machine. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We found that out later. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, anyway, if you have these conditions, 
in your low side and high side, and it's not normal, these are some things to look for. Not everything, but these are some a good place to start. Okay. <clears throat> Places to check for leaks. Okay. Uh, anywhere there is a connection. Okay. Condensers really, really bad about picking up a stone or vibrating a weld loose. Okay. Uh, evaporators, the same problem. They sit inside this cabinet and they sit in there and, va and vibrate. Um, another problem with, uh, with evaporators is dirt. Um, you, you know, the cabin air filter, uh, somebody takes it out and throws it away. Um, I'll show you a picture of what that looks like here in a second. But anytime you have fittings, you have a potential for a leak. So those are places to look. And, the, and the, what you're looking for, you're going to be looking for, number one, for, for oily residue around these fittings and it attracting dirt. That's the giveaway. So um, the hardest one to see is this compressor shaft seal because the clutch covers it up pretty good. So rest of them are pretty easy to find. <clears throat> Here's some general guidelines for correlation between ambient temperature and vent temperature. Also should give you some pressures because all this is based on ambient temperature the system will not act the same at 60 degrees outside as it does at 100 as you can well see here at, at let's just look at 70 degrees at 70 degrees the low side low side pressure should be between 30 and 40 high side should be 190 to 220 and that center vent temperature with the blower on full speed and the air conditioner on max should be 46 so as a general rule the AC system properly working should be about 40 degrees difference than the outside temperature at max. It could be less. As you can see here at 100 degrees, it's only going to be 56. So that's a 44 degree drop. But at 60, it's only going to be 45. It's a 15 degree drop. So it's all relative to the ambient temperature outside. So if you're not getting these pressure readings at these temperatures, you've probably got a problem with the charge. Okay. That's what an evaporator looks like if you don't um, keep the the uh, charge the um, cabin air filter clean, or you pull it out and run it without it. That's what a cabin air filter will look like if you take it out and it hadn't been changed in a, a year. We also have filters inside the truck around the blower motor area. There's a couple of different filters in there that can also look this way if they haven't been changed since you own the truck. Air, what, what, what would Pete say? Air is king. Airflow is king. This will not, this evaporator will not work. Okay. There's no way that evaporation is going to take place with airflow being restricted like that. And all the refrigerant you put in it will not change this. So, you know, I, I'm when I had my truck, I made three different AC repairs on my own without using a machine. Um, I bought a set of manifold gauges at uh, Harbor Freight. Uh, they were sixty five. They're sixty five dollars right now. I think they were fifty then. And they sell a an air operated vacuum pump. Um, 
it's $16. And if you have one of those lines that you can hook up to your glad hand, that's what I used. You know, you plug up the airline, you release the red knob to get the air pressure. And this thing would pull 28 inches for 30 minutes. Uh, <clears throat> and then I, I close the manifold gauges, which I have, there's a, there's a picture of them mm. and, uh, held it to check for the leak. Um, I replaced the compressor, I replaced the condenser and I replaced the bad line. Um, this is really not rocket science. It's science. Um, and just like that, um, uh, uh, the, didn't you have, um, yeah, this pressure chart. Well, you can look at those gauges, um, and the blue is the low side and the red is the high side. So you can look at that and see, oops, what the pressures are. And then you can make the determination. Um, but you know, every time that I replaced, uh, a component, I replaced a dryer. Uh, and I learned all this on YouTube, you know, uh, now we had a situation, Rocky made, uh, uh, alluded to it earlier, um, where the driver had a bad line, uh, he went and replaced the line, went to the TA in Nashville, which don't ever go there for anything. And they're like, well, we're busy, but we've got a guy that we know that'll come out and do it. And, and, you know, cause he didn't have any of the tools to, to do. He didn't have manifold gauges. He didn't have vacuum pump. And so a guy shows up about, about midnight and basically does a horrible job and, and tried to, tried to charge us $1,300. That didn't work. Um, and it still didn't work, you know, uh, and I, th I think I've told that story on the podcast before. Um, but this is not something so complicated that you can't understand at least the basics. And that way, you know, when somebody's full of shit or not, that that's the key that that's the, that's the whole point of this episode is that, so you are better prepared to walk in and say, um, well, here's what I have found. I need a line replaced. Uh, here's my line and here's my dryer. You know, um, uh, when, when we went, we, we had a bad compressor, um, for sure. Uh, and then we went to a shop that we know here locally. Well, it turns out his machine was bad. We thought we had a restriction. And so, uh, the driver kept on going, ended up stuck. And I said, well, cause with, with, because we thought we had this restriction, I said, we'll pick up two expansion valves and a dryer. Um, went to the shop. Of course they didn't listen, which I'm guess I'm kind of glad. And they just did an evac and recharge. And I'm like, Oh, it's fine. Okay. Did you put the dryer on? Well, no, we'll put the dryer on. Well, he says it don't need a dryer. I don't give it. Just do what I tell you to do. I'm paying the bill. Why is that so hard? Change the damn dryer. Cause we didn't have a dryer when we put the compressor on that night. Um, but you know, you can go get the parts and pieces that you need if you can walk logically, linearly through that process and say, okay, well, I'm pretty sure I know what the problem is. And at least you'll know if one of these morons uh, is, is selling you a, a, a bill of goods where you can say, no, nope, that's not what we're going to do. I want you to do this rather than that, you know. Um, the problem with the dryer is that you can't see inside you can't see inside of it and so if a technician doesn't understand what that dryer does and what's it's made out of he doesn't understand the need to replace it you know it just looks like a tank 
It's not leaking. It doesn't look bad. Why does it need to be replaced? It's kind of like the uh, vibration damper or the, um, that's not what we call it. Yeah, vibration damper on the front of a crankshaft. It doesn't look bad. It looks perfectly fine, but that's because you don't understand what's inside of it and that the silicone inside of it turns hard after 500,000 miles and it's useless. The same thing, this has a life expectancy of whatever it is, but once it's exposed to, exposed to the atmosphere, that life expectancy is very, very, very short. And again, to someone who doesn't understand air conditioning, they don't understand why that needs, we shouldn't be having to explain to an air conditioning technician that we want the dryer changed. But yet every time we get an air conditioner worked on, we have to make sure that they add that to the, uh, the work order because it's not something that they recommend. Right. Right. Well, and, and so here's a, something that I learned by accident and it was something we were able to do, um, uh, the other night, uh, trying to think how to, yeah, I can do it like this. Um, on these sand and compressors that pretty much all of these trucks have, um, you can, um, uh, window, there we go. So th this is the, uh, this is the sand and compressor. Okay. Well, uh, Chris had some compressors on the shelf but they didn't have the same connections. Well, on these sand and compressors, you can change the back housing. Um, cause the, the, the basics of the, uh, compressor itself are the same. And so we were able to take one of the ones that he had on the shelf, take the back off of it and swap it over so that we could make the connections. Uh, and I, I looked up and found the torque specs. And so we torqued it down to what it was supposed to be. Um, so, you know, now I would, um, I almost, if I was an owner operator, you know, I, I would, cause you can buy one of these things for what, 180 bucks, 200 bucks. I probably would have one in the truck with me. You know, I, I, it's just, um, uh, when, when you can have the part there, you know, is it really necessary to carry every piece of your, uh, you know, you don't, you don't have enough room to carry every spare part that you, you know, you could have, but at least now, you know, if somebody has got a sanding compressor, you can make it fit your truck period. So at least you, you open up the opportunities because you might be able to buy it at a Peterbilt dealer or, 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 or vice versa. Um, depending on what kind of truck you have, um, you know, <clears throat> and it, it's just stuff like that. You know, I, we've learned all this stuff accidentally along the way it's just you know stuff you learn from experience um well d desire i mean how many times have we have we gotten a part within an hour of it being on national back order for 52 weeks you know oh yeah part of this is what just, was the last one um i don't remember it happened so often i don't remember yeah uh, but it was it was a week or so ago on national back order and i called rick about tom neal and i literally <laughs> had one don't tell our secrets. Uh, but I had one the next day, you know, he's like, Oh yeah, well, right, right. Here's one. Uh, Oh, it was that steering shaft. It was that steering. Oh, so here's the kicker. Okay. I called Freightliner dealer a, 
hey, I need a steering shaft for this truck. Oh, yep, national back order. Okay. So I called Freightliner dealer B. And he goes, well, I don't have one, but here's the list of dealers that do have one. Now, Freightliner dealer A could have looked at that same page in the computer, but Freightliner dealer B looked at it and said, well, here's the people that say they have it. Now, obviously, they're not going to they're not going to sell it to the other Freightliner dealer, right? So he told me where it was. I called. The guy said, yeah, right here it is. I said, well, send it to me. And it was here three days later. You know, it, it's just, but it's laziness. It all comes down to laziness. Um, well, the other problem is you don't, you have no guarantee that they've looked the part number up correct. How many times have we right. found the part and it wasn't even the right part number? You know, um, it's just, it's, 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 it's a lack of, uh, of professionalism. It's a lack of, of, you know, uh, we had one of our drivers do a Facebook post today. He was complaining about, you know, a TA or Petro, believe it or not, you know, and he was, you know, he was belly aching to the, to the, uh, the Facebook world about, um, you know, why is it that these TA Petros, you know, uh, he was, he was trying to get them to go ahead and get the parts on hand so when he gets there tomorrow, whatever, to get the work done, the parts would be there. He even offered to pay for the parts up front. They wouldn't do it until he showed up, you know. And he's so pissed off about their lack of customer service. I said, I said, Richie, why? this is really, really easy. They don't give a shit about you. That's Nope. Quit, quit wondering about this, okay? They could, you know, the problem with the in the repair industry and trucking is that towing is too expensive. Okay. Mm-hmm. You don't, they, you, do you get, if you're a shop and you're located along the interstate somewhere and there's a thousand, 2000 trucks that drive by that interstate exit every day, there's just the law of averages are going to, going to work out in your favor that there's going to be enough trucks break down nearest that exit to a tow truck to come to you. Now you're going to need all the business that you can handle just because of where you're located. They could never come there again and you still stay in business because you'll have another thousand trucks come by tomorrow. And after that, and after that, and after that, it's not like you chose where you're getting the truck worked on. You get it worked on the closest place that you broke down because it costs a thousand dollars an hour to tow the damn thing. <laughs> so you're not going to go any further than where you, where you have to go. And that's the, the reason that they can act this way. They don't have to have customer service. They don't need it. The demand is there, you know? And Chris's so, comment goes back to my public service announcement in the beginning. New guys in parts are not interested in learning. And the older guys that know what they're doing are retiring. It's going to get worse. Well, there lies the opportunity. You know, um, if you're young and, uh, and you're not brain damaged, um, you know, and you have a little bit of work ethic, you can go in and you can learn these things and you can turn this thing around. You know, um, I preach it at my kids all the time. Um, uh, you know, I, and I point out the, the, the amoebas I'm like, well, look, look at this one right here. You know, uh, hopefully that they're the generation that can turn this stuff around. My um, first, my first full-time job after college was a parts manager. That's where I started. <clears throat> now look. <laughs> Peter says maybe the right business to be is in towing. Well, yeah, hell yeah. I was yeah in the last 10 years. Uh, absolutely. Because these new trucks are, I mean, think about just 
can we just stop for a second and think about um, living in 2022? I mean, George Jetson was born last week, you know, July 31st, 2022 was supposed to be George Jetson's birthday. And we have created an environment where OEMs are putting out junk. You know, I've got a 2017 uh, Ram 1500 that I love. I love my truck, but I want rid of it because I feel like it's a ticking time bomb. There's just some processor, um, you know, good God, give me a 1986 square body. You know, you can fix with a Phillips head screwdriver and a crescent wrench. You know, it, it, it's just, we're putting out junk. And that's why you couldn't give me a new truck. If you gave me a new truck, I'd sell it and go buy five lunatic trucks. Uh, it's just, it's <clears> insane <throat> that, that we've, you know, and I guess Kia, I've been seeing this on Twitter. I guess Kia is having some big time engine troubles. Um, brand new cars, just blowing motors left and right. And some kid that was, a, I must admit in his twenties, got a TikTok account. He walked through the dealership and he's like, well, there's a motor, there's a motor, there's a motor, there's a motor, and there's a motor. And here's another one. And he pointed out like 16 or 18 new engines in crates for new Kias. Mm. Yeah. Corporate got a hold of him. He don't have a job anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, getting back to this, we we're not trying to make you into AC techs. That's not the point of this point of this is that, to let to to prepare you enough so that you know the difference between it be you being in a rainstorm or somebody pissing on your shoe. That's really all we're trying to do here, is so you understand that if you go in there and they start down the wrong path, you can go wait a minute, you know. And and after all, it is your truck, and you do have every right to dictate how they're going to work on your truck, or you mm -hmm. can tell them that li listen, button it up, and I'm going elsewhere. Uh, we've done that many times. Uh, or threaten to do it. And usually the threat of doing it is all it takes, you know? Um, but, um, you know, it, it, just, just trying to save you from having to spend thousands of dollars to fix the same job two and three and four times. Uh, it's funny what, uh, Chris said somebody EGR next weekend, but that's, that's the next, that's the other one. You know, you, nobody can fix them. You know, everybody just kicks the can down the road and let the next guy deal with it, you know? Um, well, but that is one encouraging thing with, um, <clears throat> oh, what's his name? Uh, Chase at DPF Alternatives. Yeah. They, they are can, actually, can fix them. Yeah. they are actually fixing them now. You know, yeah. we can run the catalyst. We can do the diesel force cleaning. We can do the DPF alternatives. Um, you know, and, 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 get, and get this, if he does the cleaning and you run the catalyst, it's a lifetime warranty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's strong. It, well, there was a Landstar driver broke down here a couple of weeks ago. I think he ended up at Chris's shop. And and I talked to him. And just, you know, the typical, well, I went to the dealer and it still don't work. And so I called Chase. And he was like, uh, he was like, oh, well, you know, we well, got to look, you know, got to look for this. And these welds will break. And, and if you see this and you see that, because we finally, the market has finally provided us an opportunity. The government sure as hell hasn't done it. The OEMs haven't done it, but the market has provided this opportunity now where we have people knowledgeable enough about how the system works, just like this AC thing. They understand EGR, SCR, DPF. They understand the pressures and they understand the components and, and they know what to look for. And then they can go, oh, well, you know, you've got, well, you got a broken weld here. You got a leak here. You've got a, this is a clamp. It's not, 
well, you just need a $13,000 one box. We need to just fix it. But the OEMs, they have no clue how to fix it. Uh, and, of course, they don't care. They want to sell you a $20,000 one box. Or a new truck. Or a new truck, yeah. <clears throat> so, um, well, hopefully you'll understand that this is not rocket science by any stretch. And uh, it's just, you know, I mean, it, it, it's just basic physics really is all there is to it. And common sense. And being a good di diagnostician, you know, that's, that's the, that's really the secret to the, to this thing is, is, is knowing enough to be able to, to diagnose it and not just jumping from one to the other, you know, and trying to find the quick fix to get you out of the bay, you know? Um, and you know, there, and it, it's not that, I mean, if you wanted to learn how to do your own air, it's not that hard. The, the, the only problem about doing things manually is you got to be careful with overcharging. Okay. Mm -hmm. You need to, you need to measure by weight the amount of freon that you put back in that system, because that's the only thing that manual won't do for you. I love manual, but you've okay. got to have a scale. Um, even if you, you can't really even use the individual cans because they don't add up to 3.75 and you don't know. On, the, on the, the little cans I got from Walmart, it does. I think it's six cans is exactly 3.75 pounds. Yeah. But is, is, is 0.5 ounces a half a pound? No, eight ounces is. I think they're six ounce cans. I but did you, the math. But you had to be able to, you had to know that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, just go look, go, just go look up these man on the street interviews where they start and just asking random people questions and it'll terrify you um, that people don't know that 16 ounces are a pound, you know, and half of that's eight. Um, you do know that anybody that shows up and will wear one of those uniforms, they'll hire them to change oil and bus tires and work on your air condition. Don't you know that? Okay. Yeah. And they'll sit them down in front of a computer and have them take a few little tests, you know, so they can put that diploma mm -hmm. on the wall. Do the absolute least that they can get by with. And the guy that they had that was the best that's ever walked, they they let him go. Yep. We got him. <laughs> no. Well, and, and well, you were talking about the O-rings, right? So it amazes me how many times that I've had it. And this was even back when Carl was at TA. We'd go to work on a, on a thing. Well, you're going to have to go get some O-rings. I'm like, how the hell do y'all not have? When Carl went on his own, he bought this massive box, you know. But the number of times that I have to go running around looking for, because, of course, I'm going to do it. There's no way I'm going to hell I'm going to pay them $125 an hour to go to the parts store. Um, but to go find these O-rings, you know, and I think what I bought a pack of them for $10, you know, how, how do you not have that in your shop? How, how, is, how, is, how is that possible? <laughs> Chris says I'm gonna have my guys watch this podcast. You give out diplomas, yeah. <laughs> we'll make them one. Well, <clears throat> I got another couple of beefs to get off my chest. Can I do that? Oh, please do. I am so tired of of seeing these truck and on truck accidents that people call accidents. Okay, if you're if you're a professional driver. 
and you are tailgating another truck or a car, I mean, especially a car, okay, and you have, you wreck, that's not an accident. That's just, that's, first of all, it's premeditated murder is what it is. You know, you ought to go to jail for life, you know, and, mm-hmm. and when it's snowing and raining and you still do it and you don't increase your following distance based on conditions, you're still a moron. Okay. That's that and, cranial rectal version we were in talk. We were talking why, about. Why do we have professional drivers that can't drive next to each other without wrecking? You know, why can't two trucks be on the same interstate and not run into each other? You know, I just can't figure that out. And then, um, oh, and running red lights. You know, I know you're mad at the government for having red lights, but that's not who you're going to kill. You're going to kill my family, you know, because we're going to assume that the green light means go. We're not going to assume that the moron coming down the hill in an 80,000 pound vehicle is going to run the light, you know, just because he's pissed at the world and kill, you know, innocent people. So mm-hmm. do me a favor. If you're going to be that way, go find something else to do. You know, you know, qu- quit ruining this industry for being a moron. Well, I, so I've got one. Um, you know, five hundred one c threes are a, uh, in some cases, I believe, a sure-fired money-making scheme. And we were having a conversation today, and a couple of these trucking charities came up, and so I went and looked up there's a website called GuideStar, and you can go look at the form 990 that, uh, they're, they file with the government every year. And so I looked up two different trucking charities and both of them in 2020, 20 or 20 or 21, I can't remember what was the newest one. Both of them brought in $1.7 million in grant donations and grants, so on and so forth. One well, of them, well-known charities, well-known, in you, the truck, you, you the know, the name of them. You would right. know both of them, yeah. yeah. And um, <clears throat> one of them spent 173000 of the $1.7 million on uh, salaries and benefits and this, that, and the other. Administrative but, cost. Yeah, salaries, basically. The other one spent almost a million of the $1.7 million on salaries. Um, yeah, watch, before, out you, watch out who you donate to. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I just won't get lured into, oh, would you like to donate to such and such? Well, no, not here at the Arby's counter. I don't have the time to go, you know, Google and look up their 990 and see if they're actually doing charity work or not. Um, th- there's yeah. there's too many of these that are, have turned into scams, and there's one in trucking that's a huge one. Um, it's a huge scam. And it and it is a real, real, real hot button. You know, it's oh, a yeah. feel-good thing, okay? Yeah. Uh, but but just go just go on your own. If the guide star counts free, go look up all the trucking charities. You'll find it pretty quick. You'll find all the big name ones, and you'll find the one that's run by the biggest bunch of crooks. Um, but you know, you just there's a book called "Thou Shall Prosper" by this Jewish rabbi, and one of the things that he talks about in this book is that your dollars are your certificates of appreciation, and that business is charity you know, or in, in really charity business is moral. Um, when, when it's done correctly, um, because you're supporting, I mean, look at all the families that we support through blue ribbon, you know, all the truck owners, all of the drivers, uh, me, you know, uh, and 
what we're doing here, um, it, it generates benefits for people and, um, you don't have to be a 501c3 to actually be doing good work. There are, there's a bunch of 501s that are doing great work, fantastic work, but you probably never heard of most of them. So just keep that in mind. Yeah. Advertising budgets for charities are not cheap and they don't give those ads away because you're a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. So, um, we probably should um, do a little. We probably should do a little business here, okay? Yeah. Um, probably should talk about this a little bit. We really can't talk about driver opportunities much right now because I don't think we got. <laughs> I don't think we've got one. I think we're full. Um, but um, we uh, we certainly can uh, help other people that that have trucks and uh, if you're struggling with. Um, you know, fuel costs and business and whatnot, struggling with uh, the, the pressures of, uh, of rates falling and fuel prices going up. We'll be glad to work with you, help you out, show you what we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to teach you how to, you know, work on your cost per mile. Uh, probably talk to you about making some bad, you know, some, some difficult decisions. Um, but you, 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 you may be in a position right now where you have the choice to make them. Uh, you wait long enough, you won't have the choice. It'll be made for you. And um, still time to, you know, still time to pull back and avoid the, avoid, avoid the hill in front of you, but it's time to get on it. So I was at a youth sports event the other night and uh, talking to a doctor friend of mine. And uh, he goes, boy, I bet, you're, I bet this fuel's really messing y'all up. And I'm like, no, not really. Mm-hmm. And he just looked at me. <laughs> He's like, what? And I said, fuel surcharge is paying for the fuel. I said, when we get fuel, good fuel mods, we make money on the fuel. And he went, oh. I said, well, you know, the rates are down. It's challenging. But we have a low cost of operation. And so we're going to be fine. And he was like, wow. You know, <laughs> just the look on his face when I said that was priceless. People that I haven't seen in a long time, that's the first thing to bring up. Well, I bet that trucking business sucks right now, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, it does for some people. Yeah. <clears throat> So I'm looking at the calendar and we are on Monday night next week because the Sunday is the, uh, is the, is the annual, uh, recognition of the nuptials of one Larry W. Long and Mary Lou. So I figure, uh, he would rather spend that evening with them, with her rather than y'all. So 46, 46 years of marriage and 52 years of being together. Congratulations. So I can't believe she's put up with you for that long. No shit. <laughs> so yeah, we're on Monday night next week and, uh, and then Sunday the following, and then we'll have you another Saturday night, uh, meeting cause we'll be having an orientation in West yeah. Virginia. Yeah. So if you guys are going to be coming through West Virginia on the weekend of August 26th, 27th, We'll be at the Wingate by Wyndham doing no driver orientation. We've got a couple of new folks coming on. So if you want to stop in, yell at us, and have a drink at the Blue Ribbon Bar, please do. And um, sit in on a little of our orientation if you want to. We'll talk to you about mentoring if you want to. Or we'll just talk about whatever you want to. So mm-hmm. we'll be Saturday night, 9 o'clock, uh, live there. Um, and uh, 
Hey, my favorite sporting event of the whole year starts next week, and that's the Little League World Series. Mm. So all the Little Leaguers, uh, 8 to 12-year-olds, they're all playing their regional championships right now, and they'll all be going to Williamsport next weekend. And, um, you know, it's it's truly the the, the purest sporting event that, that there is. I mean, the kids play for the love of the game. Everybody's a volunteer. Nobody makes any money. Uh, it's uh, it's a beautiful thing. Sportsmanship is is incredibly incredible, and uh, it's just uh, I just you know it's, it's it's the only sporting event I watch all year outside of the Kentucky Wildcats. So, all righty, well we will see y'all next Monday night at nine p.m. Uh, until then, everyone be cool, be safe. We'll see you next time. Work on your own air conditioners, okay? Yeah, guys, have go. a good. We'll get yeah. you a diploma in the mail. <laughs> so y'all.